0: Welcome to the Best of No Filter podcast, where we take fan favorite live streams and bring them to you in audio format. No Filter Network is a premium live streaming platform for content creators that allows hosts to monetize their shows by creating an interactive experience with their audiences. In every No Filter stream, viewers have the option to use a live chat or a feature called Knock to join the live stream themselves. What you're listening to is a recording of a live show, including audience members interacting with the hosts in real time. If you want to view full video replays of this episode or watch a live stream where you can be part of the show yourself, then click the link in this episode's description or go to nofilter.net to browse our selection of upcoming live streams. You can also start hosting your own podcast on NoFilter Network and easily schedule, market, and sell tickets to your own event. View our website for more details.
1: All right, conference is being recorded. We are streaming live. We're gonna have people joining us here. This is the Baseball Mental Performance Mastery podcast with Kane and Casey, formerly known as Coffee with Kane and Casey, but as the time of this recording, at five o'clock in the afternoon Pacific, eight o'clock Eastern case, I think if I had a coffee, I would not sleep because I'm probably not gonna sleep anyway because of the juice that's gonna be coming out over the airways tonight, man. Good to see you, Sean Casey. Thanks for joining us. Can't Michael be- Dyer 2013 National League Batting Champion, joining us tonight. To talk about the mental game, we've got a people in the attendance that are joining us. So if you have questions as a new user to No Filter Network, just go ahead and open up the chat and post any of your questions in the chat. If you'd like to join us live and come in and video, I'll be a part of the podcast, hit the little knock button on the bottom left of your screen. We'll alert you that, hey, you want to come in and ask a question. We'll bring you into the call live. You can ask those questions and participate. Now, I do want to let everybody know that we are recording this. And this is going to be used as a podcast, audio only, and sent out. So if you do knock and come into the room, we're going to be recording uh, that, and we're going to put that out on our podcast. So let's rock and roll. Let's get started. Cuddy, case, thanks for being here, fellas.
2: Hey, good, good, good to be here too,
1: brother. I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited. Cuddy came on with us,
2: man. I appreciate it, Cuddy coming on with us. I'm, I'm excited. I got, I got a freaking yellow notepad of questions. Bro. I, don't, I don't know if we're gonna get it in. I don't know if we're gonna get it in.
3: I, I'm excited. I'm excited too. You know, a, like my playing days, coffee with Kane. This would work right now. By eight o'clock, I'm two of about six in right now. It's like second
2: inning. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you can't. Then you can't go to bed to like three. You get back to the hotel. And you're like, what's going on? We just play a big game. You try to you try to check out yourself and you think yourself if you did something on ESPN or something back in the day. But you're so yeah. wired, you're like, you don't know what to do.
1: That's yeah. right. It's Like like that every day. Well, guys, you know, it's not every day that you get to have two of, of, you know, baseball's best hitters to join a call and two guys that have a passion for for the mental game of baseball. And, you know, as as I look at our list of attendees, I recognize a lot of the names and we've got high school baseball coaches. We've got uh, Zach who who's the mental performance coach at the major league level with the Atlanta Braves, another major leaguer there. We've got high school baseball players. We've got some college baseball players who are joining us here. So I want to try to, you know, if we can move this conversation as quickly as possible into the mental game of baseball. And, and, Cuddy, why don't we start with you with when you hear someone talk about the mental game of baseball as a guy who played at the level that you have, an all-star, leading the league in hitting, what is the mental game of baseball to you? Well, I think the mental game of baseball is multifaceted, right? I mean, you've got the strategic
3: side. Where do I need to be? What do I need to do? What's the count? You know, all of that But when I think of mental performance, I think of confidence. I think of self-talk. I think of, you know, separating yourself. You know, you get to the major leagues, everybody can play, right? You get to the minor leagues, you get to pro ball, you get to college, everybody can play. You know, your your mechanics, there's not much that's going to separate you. Here is where you got the separator. And I think you're going to see that moving forward. You're going to see, you know, teams are starting to obviously invest. And the mental performance and you're starting to see people and players really separate themselves, starting to get at a younger level, which is exciting to see, really separate themselves from the pack just because of how, you know, how good their mental game is and their mental preparation and their routines and their organization, you know, and I think those are all the things for me that go into the mental, the mental game. Cuddy, can you take us,
2: I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I know I know I have two kids that are uh, that are um, you know, one's in college and one's a senior. And I'm always talking to them, you know, and Kenya is too, you know, but I'm always talking to them about routines. Like, you know, like yeah, if you want to really like I, I I was big on I remember Billy Dorn telling me my coach when I first got to the biggest, he's like, hey, go underwater, find a routine, go underwater, and when the season's over, come back up. Right, like just, just, just get live for that routine. Just like get there, you know, whatever it was, three o'clock. You know, get get yourself dressed, get your, you know, get your flips in, whatever it was every day. Can you just talk about your routine and like what, what, what exactly was it, and when yeah. do you think you really started to master that process of your routine? Sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, you know, when I got into pro ball, yeah, I was coming out of high school. I'm seventeen, eighteen years old, and I had no idea what a routine was. I mean. School got out at the same time every day. I was in high school, but some days we would take BP, some days we wouldn't. You know, I, I had no idea what a routine was. And when I got into pro ball, I got absolutely blown up, and <laughs> I had nothing. I had nothing to fall back on once I was getting blown up. I was lost. You know, I'm. I remember instructional league. I was like three for seventy. That was back when instructional league was like <laughs> six weeks, and it was like a real league. And it was so bad. We're facing J C. Romero one day, and I hit a comebacker to him, and when the when the game's over, I go up to him and say, Hey JC, I really hit that ball well, didn't I? <laughs> He's like, Yeah, yeah, Poppy, you hit it great. But I had nothing to fall back on until I got in I would probably say my second or third year of Pro Ball was when I started developing a routine and, and it started very basic, just a, a basic T routine in the cage, you know, twenty-five oppo, twenty-five up the middle, twenty-five to to the left side, and then you'd move on to to VP and batting practice, but what the routine really did for me once I got into the big leagues is it gave me something to always be able to fall back on. It gave me one constant, you know, in in professional baseball, baseball in general, you got so many different variables. I got in at four in the morning from a flight from the East Coast to the West Coast, or, you know, we're in a different stadium where you're in the metrodome, you got to walk all the way down to to the batting cage on the first base side. You got so many different variables. I needed some constant, something to fall back on, especially when the shit hit the fan. You know, yeah. when, when, I was, when I was feeling like crap or, you know, I was in a one for 20 or something, I needed something that I knew I could fall back on. And that ended up being my routine. And I, I pretty much had the same routine from 2006 until I retired in 2015, where I would take, you know, it, was, it ended up being 15, 15 t's, t's up the middle, Then I'd go 15 to the right side. I'd do 15 to pull, and I'd bring it back to 10 up the middle. I never was a flip guy. I didn't like doing flips, so I would take that into into batting practice. And then probably about 15 minutes before the game, I would do five of each way, just to be able to get myself feeling a little bit. Um, But one thing I, I always wanted to do, and at some point, maybe once a month, maybe once every other month, I wanted to disrupt my routine. Because I wanted to prove to myself that I wasn't good only because of my routine. You know, I needed, I needed to go cold, cold, cold jock one day or cold turkey one day just to prove to myself that I could go out and get three hits if for some reason I can't do my routine that day. So I, I, it was kind of a twofold thing where I, I really needed the routine to fall back on, but I also needed to prove to myself that I was still going to be a pretty damn good baseball player <clears throat> even if I couldn't get those 25 swings.
1: Cody, one of the questions I want to build off kind of that is, I sometimes I see a lot of players that they they become, you know, I call it they they become they become a slave to their routine. Like if I don't get my routine and I can't do everything I need to do, there's no way I can perform well. And they beat themselves before the competition starts. Where the routine I think is is a tool that you use and a process that you use position yourself to be as comfortable as you can be, to be ready to compete, to be prepared. But when it comes time to go, you still have to go. And the goal is. To compete not to be like i executed my routine right where the the execution of the routine allows you to compete so it's interesting that you say sometimes you would just throw it out there throw it out the window to see how you would do almost simulating simulating on your own like things got blown up and i gotta go compete how would those games normally go for you did you find like they were different or visit because were they so infrequent that it was almost like a like a relief for you to not have to be so structured
3: yeah i mean I, I don't remember performance-wise because I never really got wrapped up in the performance. I didn't do it, you know, just to, to see if I could go four for four. I didn't do it in the middle of a slump just to try and do different things. I literally just wanted to just prove to myself that I could still go out and play. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I can't say it stuck out where I was really good in those games, and I can't say it stuck out where I was really bad in those games either.
1: Nice. Nice. Anything also, Cuddy, from a routine standpoint, you talked about kind of the T work and things like that. Was there anything that you would do like mental performance wise where maybe it was a visualization or meditation or goal setting or, you know, watching highlight video of yourself? Is there anything specifically you would do you would say like this was mental game? Yeah, oh, absolutely. We had dig me tapes all over the place. I I definitely (laughs) had
3: a dig me. Uh, I used to get our video. I used to get our video guy. Well. Once we went to digital, you know, I, you know, I was playing earlier in my career it was all VHS still. So you had to go in and rewind like with, with here and there. So I didn't have the dig me tape that much. But once everything went digital, I would get a dig me tape every two weeks. So I wanted to see all my hits every two weeks. I didn't want to see any outs. I didn't care about my outs. And when I watched videos, I didn't watch my strikeouts. I watched what hits I got off particular players because I wanted to feel good about myself. So yeah, I would definitely do the dig me, the dig me tapes. Um, breathing for sure. And one of my things were locking in was with my toe hole. So with my right foot, whenever I got into the box, I would, I would, I mean, I still do it to this day. Um, you know, you, you, you'll see me in the garage every once in a while when I want to kind of lock back into whatever I'm doing that day, I'll kind of put my right foot in my toe hole and get in my stance real quick. And then I'll go about my day. Um, that was just kind of my way to, to, all right, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to go. And I get into the box and I and everything kind of goes out the window. And I'm thinking about what pitch is coming and, and what, you know, whether it's gonna be a slider or whatever. I'm thinking along with the pitcher. But once I locked in with my toe hole, that's when I knew I was ready to go. Cuddy, I that, I, I
2: wanna I wanna expand on that for a second because you know, I was a guy like I, I don't know, I was just a hunt the fastball guy. Right? I, I just was hunt the fastball. And if it had a loop in it or an arc or whatever, I just would trust my eyes to see it up so I could really adjust to, like, if it was a slider or a curveball or a changeup, you know, just see it up and work that way. You know, you talked about, you know, maybe looking for a pitch. You know, I, I, I that's tough to do. I think it was so many guys. There wasn't a ton of guys. I know Chipper Jones did it. I know Manny Ramirez could do it. When I played with Manny, he'd be like, he would set guys up. He looked like the biggest a five-year-old on the first curveball. Like, oh, they got him. <laughs> they freaking to him man. next pitch. Wham! About 450 dead center. Like, wow. I think he just set the pitcher up on a curveball. So can you take us through your mentality? Like, did you at times hunt the fastball or were you a guest hitter uh, at times with what the guy was throwing?
3: You know, it's funny you say that, that, that what what we did was hard to do because I think what you did, being able to hunt the fastball and then adjust every pitch. That I, I'm I wasn't that good. I, I just I wasn't that good. I had to think along with what pitches were coming. And you know, talking about the mental game of that, it allowed me to get rid of the last pitch really quickly. So, you know, if I swung at a slider down and away, if I'm now thinking of what this pitcher's trying to do to me, or more specifically what the catcher's trying to do to me, then that allowed me to erase that slider down and away that I just look like a jackass on. And then now I'm I'm automatically I've moved on to the next pitch because I'm, I'm thinking about what the the strategy, the game within the game. I always felt like if I was just sitting fastball and reacting, I would be so pissed at myself for swinging at the slider that I wasn't looking for or swinging at the fastball up that I was never going to be able to let that go. So that was kind of another way for me to just to be able to wipe out something that looked ridiculous or taking a, a pitch right down the middle I was able to wipe that out because I was automatically moved on to the next pitch.
2: Did, did, you, did you ever, uh, one thing, <clears throat> did you ever like, were you ever looking slider? Or were, were you ever looking curveball and could you still hit the slider? Yeah, that, so that was the other thing,
3: reason why I guess pitched. I, I had enough trust in my hands that I didn't, I didn't think anybody could throw a fastball by me. That, now, that didn't mean I was going to put it in play. I didn't want to put the fastball in play, especially after like the second or third pitch. I, I wanted to hit strictly off speed, because if I'm looking 87, if I'm looking 86, that gives me a chance to hit the curveball, the slider, and the changeup, and foul off the fastball, spoil the fastball. So whereas if I'm looking 96, <laughs> hope he throws it, because I got no shot on the 88, 82, or 79 on our other pitch. So that, at least that was the way. That was my thinking. So I, I wanted a chance. To
1: to hit three of his pitches as opposed to just one. Oh, wow, I love oh. it. Interesting. And I'll be asked this question too. We got three three major league players here uh, on the call: Michael Cadyer, Zach Sorensen, who's joined us, and Sean Casey. I want to ask you guys. And, and case, let's start with you. When did an at bat start for you? Oh man, I, I think the at bat started for me. Like
2: if we were the if we were the uh, away team, if it was his first optional. You know, uh, it really started in the dugout for me, you know, just getting ready. I usually hit third, you know, sometimes hit fourth, but like usually hit third. So I knew I was coming up. I loved hitting third just because I knew I was getting up in the first. And I, and I, my dad always told me like, you know, whenever you're going first and something, he goes, no, he's yeah, like, whenever you're doing something new, he's like, always go second or third. So I was always like, oh, that's perfect, hit third because I can see what the heck this guy's got tonight, right? And and but I would really pay attention to those at bats. Especially if I had a lefty in front of me, right? If I had like a, you know, Felipe Lopez or D'Angelo Jimenez, some of the guys I played with early on that were lefties. But I would lock in with those guys and and really see that first at bat, and then I and then I would really get, you know get things going in my mind. And then when I got on deck, I was a big visual guy. Like I know I couldn't, you know, I, I wasn't obviously close enough, but I would I would be on deck trying to really like see some pitches, you know, time them up, and you know, and and so. You know, and for me, I was, you know, kind of got my note card out, you know, with my three cues of see the ball, be easy, hammer it, and I was just mentally getting ready to go. So it's kind of started
1: right before, you know, when I was in the dugout, you know, that's when my bats really would get started. Cody, what about you? When would an at-bat start for you? So it, if it was the
3: first bat at a game, that started six days ago. So I always liked getting a seven-day forecast. I knew every pitcher we were facing that week. So I knew who it was. Now, it doesn't, doesn't mean that if we're sitting on a Monday and, we're, and I'm thinking about Thursday's starter or anything like that. But I just wanted that seven-day forecast just to have it soaking in my mind, just so it was there. And it was kind of marinating, you know, and I, I could kind of get into a flow of who I was going to be facing. And then once I got to the field that day, once I got to the stadium and I started wat- watching my video, the the routine of video for me, that's when my first at bat started for that starter, um, my second at bat started probably just literally right after that first at bat was over you know, and I didn't realize I did this until i was I was watching an interview with um forgot his name's josh he he was the Bobby Fisher, the chess player. this is who the character was made after yeah, Josh and he was josh talking about Weedster. how he yes josh so he was talking about how. When he was a kid, he played a match, a chess match, a chess match one time with 50 at the same time. So he's playing 50 players at the same time, and he's literally just walking around the room, and he would make a move, and he's walking around the room, and he'd make a move. And that's kind of how I watch the game. Like, if, when I'm on the bench, I'm not necessarily watching, okay, he started the guy off with a fastball. I got to remember that. Or he started, you know, and he threw a 2-1 slider. I got to remember that. It's more just watching how the game's unfolding. So after that first at bat, I'm just watching how this game's unfolding. And then I've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen my second at bat. And then my third at bat. So I'd say it starts literally right after the the
1: previous at bat. Zach, what about you? Anything that you did as a player or you're teaching your guys in the Braves organization about kind of when an at bat starts?
0: I I love what's going on here. You guys just, just learn from these guys. They're students of the game. They're just constantly gathering information. So, For me, I was a bench guy. I wasn't a starter. I played on the bench. You know, I I was always sitting over there. And so for me, every time Omar Vizgil, who was the shortstop that was ahead of me, every time he had an at-bat, I took that as my at-bat. And I even took it as far as going and grabbing my bat out of the bat rack, going to the far side of the dugout, put my batting gloves on, and assuming that that was my at-bat. Because, you know, for me, I never knew if I was going to get in the game or not. You know, in fact, nickname was Justin. Right. I was there just in case, uh, you know, Cuddy needed the rest of the game off or just in case, you know, case case, you know, uh, you had three or four knocks that day and, and it was my turn to play. So I needed to make sure I was sharp and fresh and ready to go. So my at bats, I simulated every time Omar was up to bat or maybe Alomar that day or whoever it was. And, and I took those as mine.
2: You know, one other thing that I did, that I did do that I, I think back now, and I, I try to tell my kids to do it too, when I was in batting practice, and even though I was facing the batting practice pitcher, I would think about who I was facing that night. You know, if it was Maddox or it was Glavin or if it was whoever it was, John, Randy Johnson or Roy Halliday or whatever, those guys give me nightmares you thinking about. But, then you know, they, I mean, if I was facing those guys, I would picture them. So so and I, what I found was mentally it, it allowed me to, like, you know, if it, it, – it, Cuddy and I are throwing BP to each other, and he's like, all right, case 2-0, two guys, 2-0, two, second and third. For some reason, my brain goes into lock, lock-in lock mode, you know? And I used to play that game with myself, myself in batting practice, facing a guy. Because whenever we would face a lefty, we'd always have a lefty throw BP. So when that lefty would throw BP, I was like, this is Tom Blavin. You know, I'm going to try. and He's going to work me away today. I'm going to try and shoot all these balls to the left center and BP. So I can remember that, too. Like in batting practice, I would try to visualize the batting practice pitcher as being that that night's starter. So when I got to the game, I was like, man, I already faced this guy a few times.
1: Nice. And you know, one of the things, obviously, um, I know you guys, you know, Casey worked a lot with, with Harvey Dorfman. I studied under Ken Revisa, you know, Zach's now in the forefront of the mental game, leading it with with Atlanta Braves. And one of the things that Ken used to always say is he'd say, he's a baseball player. When you get to the field, you have a transition period like Clark Kent into Superman where you take your street clothes off, you put your uniform on. And then that reverses itself at the end of the day. You take your uniform off, you put your street clothes back on. You would say always use that as a way to separate baseball as what you do into who you are as a father and what you have going on outside of the game. But then he would bring it from like that big picture, you know, almost macro level of before the game, after the game, into the app. Then he would say, when you put the batting gloves on, three people away, four people away, you know, in the hole, double hole, whatever on deck, that's when the at bat starts and you start funneling in and getting locked in and getting dialed in for that one at bat, that pitcher. Now, after you go up there and you battle however many pitches it is, when the batting gloves come off, the at bat's done. He's like, and sometimes you're just gonna get beat. And when you get beat and you come back to the dugout, you take the helmet off, you put the bat away, but leave the batting gloves on until you're done processing the at bat. And then when those at gloves come off, that at bat's done, so you can go back out there and focus on playing defense. Is there anything that you guys had, like, Cuddy? You talked about kind of the toe, yeah. the toe hold as a trigger to get you dialed in on that pitch. Case you've talked about that card that you take out and you'd read, would see the ball, beat easy, hammer it on the undeck circle as a trigger to get you locked in. Is there anything else that you guys would do, like those mental games that you play with yourself to make to say, okay, this is when I got to get more focused or dialed in, or this is how I separate one pitch and one at bat from the other. Yeah. So for me, it was almost like a, a complete alter ego um
3: you know like if you would ask my son or my my daughters they they probably never heard me curse ever I just in my everyday life I don't curse but damn when I get on the field it's like every (laughs) other word man I mean it just that that was my power talk to myself like I needed to use big powerful profanity to myself and that's kind of that was my alter ego. That's, I needed to, to, to do that to then go out and compete when the game started. And then when the game was over, I went back to being my normal, calm, collected self. Not that I wasn't calm and collected on the field either, but that was just kind of my alter ego. That was I called it my eyes went black, and that's just kind of how I was. And then when it talked about the, the at-bat, when I stepped out of the dugout, and it's it's I I, I hated playing in Toronto because there was really no dugout. I hate playing in Oakland because there was no stepping out onto the field. When I got to step onto the steps and step out onto the on deck circle, that was my stage. And man, I walked out there like it was like I was on Broadway, right? And that was kind of my way. And now I'm clicking into this at bat. And I my first at bat of every game, I would try and find a kid who was sitting in the first couple rows. And I would, I would try and just strike up a little, just how you doing, where are you from, you know, like a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old. And the reason I did that is because for the rest of that game, I knew that kid was, he's going to have his eyes on me the whole game. Everywhere I went, that kid was going to be. So now not only did I have myself, I had to hold ca- accountable, but I had to be held accountable because I had this kid who's going to watch me the whole rest of the game. He, had, he was going to watch how I ran down the line. He was going to watch how I threw the ball. He was going to watch how I played catch in between innings. So I had to make sure that everything I did was at the big league level to show as an example for this kid. So those were a couple of the things I did to get my at batch started. And then when I got off, when I went back down into the dugout, I was off the stage again. I was, I was, I was,
1: I was backstage, you know, having another cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, where did you come up? Where did you come up with that idea? I've never heard someone talk about that. I think it's genius about finding the kid before the game and basically making that connection to put that added. Accountability on you to act like a professional because you know this kid is there watching you every move. Did you just come up with that? Is that something you were taught, or just?
3: Yeah. So I, I live really close to the Tides, the Tidewater Nor- Norfolk Tides, Triple A for the for the then Nets, and I just remember whenever I'd go down and somebody would throw me a ball, my eyes were locked on that guy the whole rest of the game. It didn't matter if he was the the bullpen catcher, it didn't matter who he was. I just remember that my eyes were following him and I watched literally every single thing he did that whole game. And that always stuck with me the way I watched them. So once I, I mean, I did it in high school. I did it uh, in the minor leagues. I did it in the big leagues. I just always made myself, you know, it, we let ourselves down every day. I, sometimes I let myself down when I don't take a shower in the morning, right? It's easy to let ourselves down. But, you know, you talk about, I know you talk about Brian having accountability, buddy. It's, it's really hard to let a 10 year old down. It's really hard to let a seven-year-old down. So that was just my thing. That was I always tried to find one in the crowd, and and that was that was how I was going to hold myself accountable. And was I wasn't going to let him down. I could let me down, but I wasn't going to let him down.
1: Love that. I need I need to get a ten-year-old with me on the golf course so I behave a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. up to probably won't yeah. snap any clubs. <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> Case, anything, anything that you did uh, maybe as a trigger to help you get locked in? You know, I know you talked about the index card and having that three keys to keep it simple when you're hitting. Anything that you did maybe from, like, a batting glove standpoint or, like, how do you talk about with the foothold to kind of help you get clicked in or let go of the last pitch, like a flush it mechanism or well, anything like that? I mean, looking back, I, 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 I'm I a fidgety dude. Like, it's it's annoying in my everyday life. People are like, are you serious? I'm like,
2: yeah. I don't know. I'm just – I'm, like, always, like – I'm, like, doing this crazy stuff all the time. So you go back, I mean – you know, Cutting and Zach probably remember my routine. It was, like, ridiculous. Like, stretch right, stretch left. You know, shoulder roll, shoulder roll, up here, up here. And then I do my batting gloves, and then I lift my back leg, which, like, I don't know if anyone in Major League Baseball history lift their back leg and they're getting ready to hit, I just did it. But, like, that was, like, I needed that. And, you know, talk about, like, and people are like, hey, what are you doing? You're the human guy. Like, I'm like, you know, you don't know what I'm doing. I'm computing so many things right now in this routine, like, I'm stretching the right and left, but I'm really saying, was that 93 sink? Yeah, man, was that an 89-mile slider? Yeah, okay. Is he working me away? What's he doing? Is his curveball up? Okay. Then I would just get back to that deep breath to reset. I think that deep breath reset my pitch. Like Cuddy was talking about having to, like, play along with that. Okay, there's a slider. Okay, I'm going to curveball here. You know, my my thing was playing along with my breath was a reset. Okay, now I'm in a new world. I'm in to and I, I you know the fact that Cuddy's here is a great story to say. I remember Jim Leland coming in. We played the Twins in the, uh, in, the in in uh, towards the end in, um, uh, in two thousand. Was that two thousand and six when we were coming down the stretch? And Santana was. I mean, it was it was the nastiest change nastiest up ever. And I remember Leland coming into our hitting hitters meeting and goes, "Men, you're going to look like a little boy tonight on at least one swing. This guy's going to make you all look like non big leaguers like idiots." He goes. Just flush it. You got to just be able to flush it and go to the next pitch. And, like, that was the thing. When you face big league pitchers, especially a guy like Johan Santana who had that changeup that, like, it was filthy, you were going to look stupid at times. And so, for me, that whole routine was, like, reset. You know, all I got to do is get through my routine, take a deep breath, it's on. Let's get it on again. You know, now I'm going to make you look stupid when you hang that heater. Getting driven in the gap, you know what I mean. Like it was just that game you play in your mind, and so for me, that that routine, my routine in the box, was just so big for me uh, to get ready for that next pitch.
1: Awesome, awesome. I want to go to a couple questions here. I know we got quite a few uh, people participating on tonight's call. Again, if you're here with us on the No Filter Network and you want to join the call live and come into our room and chat live, just click the knock function. We'll bring you in if you want to just post a question you can open up the chat function so if we look at the chat function here we've got a question that came in from cody ann and she said i'm currently moving from amateur to professional to video in my sport rodeo and i'm a big fan of both michael dyer and sean casey who haven't watched baseball for a long time now the event that i'm going into is getting a lot of national media and attention that it hasn't in the past what are some strategies that you guys used as major league baseball players earlier in your career not get caught up in the excitement or you know playing in the big leagues or playing in the postseason and just keeping it pitch to pitch how did you guys keep that kind of perspective
3: go ahead Kenny. yeah i mean it's to be honest with you one is accept it accept that it's it's a big moment accept that it's a big tournament i think if you if you try and deny it or if you try and like push it out of your mind, it only builds up more. So I think if you accept it and then tell yourself, I'm going to accept this challenge. You know, that's what I always did. I always tried to, you know, we play in the, the postseason. Yeah, you're, you're going right. I got a million people watching me. They're watching me for a reason because I deserve to be here. You know, plain and simple. I started pumping myself up for that challenge and and, and making sure, you know. And, and I think that's another thing, too, as athletes, now that I mentioned that. You know especially baseball players i' don't, I don't know about rodeo riding, but especially baseball players, you know because there's so much failure in baseball uh, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop if you have a good week or if you have a good two weeks you know you're like you're eight for your last twenty, you're like, oh I, I mean I'm probably going to go two for my next twelve or something like that you know you're always waiting for that next shoe to drop. Two thousand and thirteen was when I really bought into mental performance and Self talk. And I started telling myself, I deserve the success. Not, I'm waiting for the two for 12. I work just as hard as anybody out on this field. I put just as much time and just as much effort as anybody out on this field. Not only am I going to have success, I deserve the success that I'm going to have. I don't think very often us as baseball players really say we deserve to go three for three or deserve to go, it just kind of happens, right? No, screw that. I deserve to go three for three because I prepared more than anybody else out on this field to have that. And that's kind of what I looked like. It looked at how I looked at big games or, or big situations. You're in that big situation because you deserve to be there and pump yourself up with it.
1: You know, I, want to, Cody, I, want to, I want to unpack that a little bit because you just said you just said in 2013 is when you bought into mental performance. And in 2013, you won the National League batting title. 100 percent. Not a coincidence. Amazing. What what was it that got you to buy into mental performance in 2013? Because was it something that was new to you in 2013? You didn't know it existed? Were you resistant to it? Like, where did that buy-in come from in 2013 when, when you won the batting title?
3: Yeah. So, Walt Weiss was our manager then, and Walt would have guest speakers come in. This was Walt's first year as as manager of the Rockies. And I don't remember the, the, the fighter's name, but Walt was a, always trained with MMA fighters. And I don't remember the fighter's name, but he had him come in and speak to us. And he talked about his how he would prepare for a fight six weeks out and how he sat in the bathtub every single night for six straight weeks, and he'd start at 100. And he'd close his eyes in the bath, and he'd go, 100, I'm the baddest MFer on the planet. Number, number 99, nobody can beat me. 98. I'm a champion. 97. I'm the baddest mother. I'm the baddest MF on the, on the, on the planet and just go all the way down to one. And he would say that and it started giving me chills just listening to a talk. So, so, so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this out. Right. So I try this in spring training. I'm just constantly, I'm in right field and I'm constantly just telling myself how good I am, how much I deserve success. So how, how much I'm going to get this, my next at bat and I'm going to do this, I'm gonna do that. And I, I carried it with me throughout the, the season. I remember we were in San Francisco the third week of April. We're facing Madison Bumgarner. And I, my first at-bat, I had like a 12-pitch at-bat off Bumgarner, and I hit a bullet up the middle. And then my second at-bat, I hit a bullet up the middle, third pitch. And I come into the dugout, and Dexter Fowler comes up to me and says, damn, dog, he ain't got nothing for you tonight. And I, t- I looked at him. I remember I looked at him and I said, there ain't nobody that's got anything from me. And I just took that same mental thought through the rest of the season. And it wasn't conceit. It wasn't ego. It was just, it was
1: self-belief more than anything else. It was a mental game you played with yourself when you flipped the switch into the alter ego. Mm -hmm. And you you talking to yourself like that helped you get into the place you needed to be to compete at a high level.
3: And it's just sad. It's just sad that it took me, you know, 2013, I
1: was already 12 years in the big leagues by that point. So how, how does that happen? How's that, how do you make it 12 years in the big leagues and it takes an MMA fighter coming in and talking to you in spring training where you're like, I'm going to do that. How do you make it that long without someone giving you the tools to use? Well, I think you still, you know, the guys, you still
3: develop mental skills, you know, just based on trial and error, based on failures, based on getting your teeth kicked in and you have to figure out how to rebound. Um, you know, like I talked about in instruction League. I had to figure out how I'm going to rebound. I had to figure out how I was not going to let my first experience of pro ball already chew me up and spit me out. Cause that happens to a lot of guys it happens to more guys than it doesn't happen to. So, you know, I think those guys that, that are, that get there are just resilient enough and are eager enough to learn and don't have an ego where they're continually trying to find answers. You know, there's a lot of guys, I think that succumb to that one, cause they don't have confidence, but two, their ego is so, built up that they're afraid to let it get bruised and they're afraid to learn ways out, if that makes sense.
1: George St. Pierre one time said on HBO with, uh, it was HBO with Joe Buck and he said, you know, some people some people learned, learn to lose and other people lose and learn. And what it sounds like is when baseball got hard for you in pro baseball, you found what the answers that you needed at that time. And Case, let's go to you because I know in your career, you know, you you've mentioned on on our calls before how your career was was you know positively impacted in a huge way by a relationship with Harvey Dorfman. How did you come to mental performance? Case was it something that you got training in? Was it something that you were looking for? Because you're like, I need something. Like, where did that happen for you?
2: <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? My, my you know what? Thank God for my dad. You know, he's just my dad's just a forward thinker. He owned his own company. You know, he, he started his own company when was a sophomore in high school. He was a chemical salesman. Was kind of a grinder guy, and we was always looking to build the company. We was always like, "Hey, there's got to be a better way to do it. There's got to be a better way to do it." And it was like, "Wow, it's cool to watch." And one day he came home with three books: Ted Williams' book on hitting, Charlie Lau's The Art of Hitting Three Hundred, I think, and The Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman. I was 16 years old, never read a book in my life. Just not a big reader back then. Big reader now. Wasn't a big reader then. You know, and. I fell in love with the mental game of baseball for some reason, and I started to go in during my free periods and sit down and, you know, and started to go, wow, these are tools I can use in the game, you know, coming up. It was my it was my uh, sophomore year in high school, I believe, sophomore, junior year. And I was like, man, I could, I could really use this stuff. And, you know, it's so funny, Kaner, because, you know, when you're talking about this question, but he's, you know, talking about stuff that really worked for him, you know, th- I remember something specific in that book, in the mental – game of baseball um that harvey said is and I, and I bought in i think this is the big thing is like you, ju- you just gotta buy in if you if, if you buy in and then you see the results are there then you're gonna keep doing it like Cuddy said hey i started talking myself this way and it started to work and i was the nl batting t- i won the nl batting crown like are you kidding me and, and you know you can you can go to another level like you know Right, Cuddy, you had two All-Star games, 2006, you drove in 109 runs. You've had big years. You've done big things. But as your career went on, you still got better. And the one thing that that I read in that book back when I was 16, 17 years old that I took all the way through my career was master the process of the bat. Get so good at understanding, like, that's what I did. I mastered the process of deep breath. uh, You know, for me, it was hunt the fastball. You know, let you know, and, and and really see the ball, see it late, see it deep, right? And I mastered that process. And what Harvey said to me was, and as it said it in the book, and then as I got to work with Harvey in the big leagues, he always would reiterate to me. He goes, he would say, "You got to get so good at your process that you can lean back on it when nobody's on, nobody out in game two in Cincinnati when there's seven people in the stands or bases loaded." Game five, World Series, in St. Louis, game on the line, right? It it doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is, can I get into my own world in my mind and get so good at that process that when that deep breath hits, it's me in the pitcher. And you've got to now throw that ball over home plate. And when you do, I'm going to make you pay. And it doesn't matter if it's on the big stage. It didn't matter if it's at Upper St. Clair High School. It's all the same thought process. And that, that helped me a lot. That was the game I played with myself, like, to just realize it's me versus him. It's, let's get it on.
1: I love that. case. Okay, so I've never heard you put it that way, man. That's so good. Master the process of the at-bat at such a level that whether it's game two in Cincinnati or game seven of the World Series, you attack it the same way because your process is your process and your process is what dictates the results of Well said. Well said. Zach Sorensen, what about for you, man? I mean, you 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 obviously uh, had a su- very successful career at Wichita State, you know, three-time All-American there. You could play for Team USA, play in the major leagues. Obviously, a little different uh, role than Case and Cuddy had as, as everyday position players. How, how did the mental game help you as a guy that was more of a utility role and kind of you never knew if you were going to play when you showed up at the yard that day?
0: Yeah, interesting question. But, but I think if I look back on my career, where I'm at and where these guys ended up, was it was a big factor because of the mental game? You know, I never got to the point where I felt like I deserved to be successful like Cuddy did. And maybe for the listeners out here, you know, this is something that we really ought to pause at real quick and look at. You know, I never got to the point where I said I deserve. I never got to the point where I was allowing my self-talk because this is really standing out to me here. you guys talk, you guys mastered your self-talk. You really did. And for me, I was still wondering. I was still. Hoping. Okay. You know, you ever step in the box and hope you get a hit. Yeah, I think we all do <laughs> yeah. at the time. But I never really got to the point to where I was like, you know what, I deserve to be in the box right now. I deserve to be there. And part of that could be because, you know, I was the bench guy and I was coming off and, and this or that. But maybe the reason why I didn't get to be an everyday guy is because I never got to the point mentally where I needed to go to where I felt like I deserved to be there. And I I just wanted to make that point right there. And honestly, to be honest with you, Kane, that's why I'm here right now because I want to impact young players as much as I can at whatever level I'm getting to work with. And for me, I needed more mental game. And so, you know, thank you to you guys for sharing what's got you there. And I'm just blown away by, by, you know, the amount of work you put into it and the fact that right now you're back on Cuddy. I was on a call with you last week and you said, I want to get better at the mental game. And I'm like, well, what for? And you're like, because I want to help other people, man. I want to help other players. And I didn't get into it early enough because I could have been a much better player. And, and, and wow, how about that right there?
1: Well, let me throw this at you. you know, Cuddy, obviously, you're coming, you're coming at it now, and your, your career is done as a player. And what is – if there were minor league baseball players, college baseball players, high school baseball players, listen, you guys have been to the mountaintop, man. You've been major league all-stars. You've won batting titles. What are the problems that these players are going to experience and they're not going to be prepared for if they don't get into mental performance and don't start to apply some of the things that you're talking about about playing mental games with yourself, about holding yourself accountable, about building that positive self talk, about mastering the process of the at bat, all the strategies that you and Case are sharing? What are the problems that these players are going to run into if they don't start to build this skill set, this mental game skill set?
3: You know, for me, I'd say the biggest thing is especially in pro ball, there's very, very, very little you can control. Very little. Um, you know, I – I. down to getting promoted, to having a bad 2-1 pitch called on you, to a guy making a dive in play, to getting sick, to a rain delay. I mean, there's just – there's so many variables that you have no control over that maybe in high school you had a little more control over, or at least it, 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 you could overcome it. Pro ball, you can't really – it's tough to overcome that. You, you, it's tough to get sent down to AAA because you have an option left, and the guy that made the team who you blew him out of the water in spring training doesn't have an option left, so you have to go to AAA, and the other guy doesn't. That could ruin – that ruins some players' careers. I mean, absolutely ruins players' careers. So, the biggest, I guess, piece of advice I can give is control. And it goes to what Case talked about in his process. And can, if you can totally hone in on and become a master at controlling what you can control, then you don't worry about the things that you can't. They, they almost like just, it's almost like you're wearing a body armor, it just comes at you and falls off because. You know that underneath that, that, that shield, underneath that chain link, you're, you're mastering yourself. You're mastering those things that you can control. And whatever else is going to happen is going to happen. But whenever I get that opportunity, I'm going to be ready for it because that's what I can control. I can control the, my attitude when, I'm, when I get that opportunity and I can control the way I'm going to attack that. But I can't control how I'm going to do in that, in that opportunity either. You know, I, yeah. the, very first, the very first chance I got to play every day was 2005, already my third year in the big leagues. And I sucked. 100 games, I sucked. I, was, I, I couldn't hit. I couldn't throw because I was putting so much pressure on myself. I can't control the results. But what I was ended up doing is I was guaranteeing myself shitty results because I was trying to control those results. And in 2000, that offseason, 2006, I looked myself in the mirror, and I said, I'm going to be the best teammate I can possibly be. I'm going to be the best human being I could possibly be. I literally every single every single uh, parking attendant at the stadium, every single usher at the stadium, every single one of my teammates, every single person I came in contact with, I smiled, I waved, I asked them how they were doing. I mean, to be quite frank between you and me, I didn't really care. It was just that was my my way of controlling. I can be the good person, and it, it was taking a lot of the pressure I was putting myself off. And that's mm-hmm. the talk case talks about having 109 RBIs. I had 20 at bats going into May and wasn't really worried about it because I couldn't control that. And then once I got an opportunity to play every day in May, I drove in a hundred, I scored a hundred, hit 25 bombs and the rest
2: was history.
1: Wow. Hey, so what about, for, you know, for, I will, I'm going to talk about some of the strategies there, right? That you're sharing, Cody And what I love about this call with you guys is, we are we're not just talking theory here we're giving specific things that people can do and by you walking into a park and saying hello to everybody is probably similar to what it did with the little kid about the accountability the other thing i think it did is it got your energy out instead of you being stuck inside your head of what's not going good even when you're putting up that type of season there's going to be streaks where you're not the hammer you're the nail and it's getting put on you but by you saying hello to everybody and getting that energy out it's almost like a routine where you're walking in the clubhouse and you're like, "Shit, I'm here, man. Let's go. I'm ready to play. I've said hello to everybody and kind of checked in, you know." And you become an energy giver instead of an energy taker when it's so easy to be an energy taker in a game like baseball where there's so much failure and maybe things aren't going your way all the time. Case, was there anything that you did that you felt like was, you know, kind of kind of like Cuddy was talking about of the problems that that guys are going to experience with so much you can't control? Were there any problems like whether it was injury or? expectations or media or just problems you put on yourself that you know these guys are going to experience and I know we had you know Nick Solak right who was on our first call that we did together second baseman for the Rangers who uh it was pretty cool in the month of April he was named second baseman of the year in the the month in the AL you know so and and every time we talk he references things that you mentioned on that first call so what are some of those kind of pitfalls or problems that you think people are going to run into if they want to start to get ahead of the game with some mental game work?
2: Well, I got a couple things uh, um, that I thought of, especially when Cuddy was talking, was I remember when I was coming up with the Indians. I was drafted in the second round, 95, and uh, there was a there was the, there was was only two guys ahead of me that stood in the way of me getting to the big leagues. Richie Sexton, who was the number one prospect in, in AAA at the time, and Jim Toney just signed a five-year, $50 million. Dollar deal. I was like, oh, this is going to be a great career. I'm going to freaking be in Watertown, Kingston, and he gone, and he had a Back in Pittsburgh at Casey Chemicals, my dad selling chemicals. I'm like, oh, my God. And so I remember my first year in Watertown, you know, um, Joel Skinner, who played, you know, Skins had played 10 years in the big leagues. I think he came up to me. He's like, and we got into a conversation. He's like, Case, he's like, he goes, I know you have Richie Sexton ahead of you, and you have Jim Tomey ahead of you. You need to control what you can control. He goes, if you hit, he goes, make them either trade you or call you up, because if you control what you can control, they're going to have to take notice at some point. It really doesn't matter what Richie Sexton does or Jim Tomey does. They're going to have to call you up or trade you, and sure enough, that year, I won the batting title in Watertown. The next year, I won the batting title in Kinston. I hit 386 the next year, and then they called me up to the big leagues, and then they traded me They traded me the next year to Cincinnati. It was exactly what happened, but like, I took care of what I needed to take care of, and the rest took care of itself. You know, I couldn't control what was going to happen with Tommy, Richie sex, and all that stuff. But I could control what I did every day. And the other – one other thing I thought of when you were saying – when we were talking about this is the one thing I love about, you know, about life and how baseball mirrors life. In life, when we get anxiety and something happens, maybe we've we bred our own anxiety or something happens that just brings us that uneasy feeling. You know what do they say? What do all the self-help books say? What do all the you know all the guys say? to The coaches, hey, let's breathe, you know, let's 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 meditate, let's 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 do something to, to get that anxiety under control and get and, and, and let our body know that we're we're we everything's okay, we're safe. Well, I always tell my kids, hey, listen, this is why this is the greatest game in the world. Baseball breeds anxiety. It, it's there for you. You don't have to create it. You don't have to have something happen in your life. As soon as you walk out and you know there's about to be a one-on-one competition, it's there for you. It's coming for you. And the failure's coming for you. It's, it's built into the game. If you fail 70% of the time, you're a freaking superstar. In any other profession, you're fired. It's over, right? So I think there's something, something to be said about knowing the anxiety is going to be there because the competition breeds it. And then how are you going to control it? That's what I would say to young kids. Hey. Anxiety, it's going to be there because it's competition. It's built in the game. How are you going to control it? What tools do you have when you step in that buyer's box? What tools do you have in the dugout before you get out there? What's, what tools do you have in your toolbox? And I think I said this before on the show, Cainer. Are you bringing a butter knife to an Uzi fight? Hmm. You know, because if, if you are, it's like, Cuddy, I love, I love your story about being three for 70 and constructionally. You could have gone home. I'm out of here. I can't freaking hit. This is unbelievable. But then you started, because of that failure and that suffering, you started to learn mental tools like that perseverance and that grit. You're like, no, I'm hanging with them. I'm, I'll figure it out. I'll get it going. Those are tools in your toolbox that maybe you didn't even realize you had because you developed it at such a young age. You know, like you could go to that when you go 0 for 4, 0 for 8 and say, no, nah, I've been here. I was three for 70 and I'm
1: still here. You know what I mean? Seriously, that's big time stuff. Three for seventy. I didn't know that part, man.
3: That was a first round pick, too. <laughs> that, was in, that was in was that in the New
1: York Penn League? Was that instructionally? Or no, uh, that was my instructional instructional
3: league. Instructional League, 97. The first, <laughs>
1: first taste of Pro
3: Ball. And I and I <laughs> literally don't think I caught a ball. That's short <laughs> You
1: know, and, and amazing. I think I think when the cool part about you guys sharing that, right, is when players hear this they're going to go, these guys are human too? You mean Sean Casey and Michael Kadier and Zach Sorensen, those guys made mistakes? Those guys had a three for 70? Because I think everybody thinks when they're going through the shit, they think they're alone, right? And it, did you guys ever feel that when you were going through your career? You're like, man, I'm the only guy that's going through this shit. When if you talked about it in the locker room, every guy would be like, I've been there, man, been there. Did you ever oh. feel like you're on an island by yourself and you're playing? You know, my
3: first year of pro ball after the instructional league, I hit well, but I made 61 errors. 61 errors at shortstop in 1998 in the Midwest League. So, yeah, I figured out the hitting part, but then I really couldn't figure out the fielding part. Um, But what happened was, you know, you talk about you think you're on an island. Derek Jeter saved me because Derek Jeter made 58 errors his first year of pro ball at shortstop. So just knowing – that I wasn't the only guy. And here this guy is. He just got finished winning his second World Series at that time. And, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be fine. I'm gonna, I got to figure it out. Don't get me wrong. I got I to gotta work. It ain't just going to happen. But other people have done that before. Yeah, I mean, we've all failed. We've all failed. I had to repeat double AA. Double um, you know, I, had to, I didn't have a great year in double A. repeated it. Went from hitting six home runs the first year to hitting 32 bombs the second year at A, And it's just figuring stuff out and understanding you're not the only one that goes through that stuff.
1: You know, two acronyms I'll share with you guys that I think are so good is, and it's exactly what you're talking about here is H-O-P-E, right? Hold on, possibilities exist. There's always more coming your way. And H-O-P-E, hear other people's experiences. And I think what, what, I, what I'm so grateful for you guys being on this call, Cuddy and Case and, and, and Zach is, sharing your experiences to try to grow the game, you know, and grow the game where I think at the youth level, especially the failure, the frustration, the doing everything the right way on the mound or at the plate and you execute a pitch and a guy hits a double or you do everything right at the plate and you're out and you're 0 for 4 and the whole world only looks at you at 0 for 4, what happened? Where you could have been the best hitter in the ballpark and then 0 for 4, but if you don't ever look at process, you can wear yourself right out of the game. And one of the questions that came in here from Greg is he said, You know if you guys could go back to your earlier days of your career let's say let's go back to like before pro ball so maybe you know maybe high school college case at richmond you know if you could go back and talk to yourself when you were say 18 to 20 years old what do you know now you wish you knew then having had your careers if you could go back and go hey man here's what you're going to experience you got to know this what would you go back and tell your younger self case let's start with you (laughs) have fun You know, I think,
2: I think the game. I know at times it it got so it gets the stress of the game. Sometimes, you know, gets gets to you and, and you lose that fun. You know, I I think, you know, I, I I had a great time in the big leagues, but there it was a it was, a lot of times I wish I would have I wish I would have embraced embraced the moment a little bit more. And I think one of the things I I would have would have continued to work. I'm really a big believer on working the perspective muscle. Like, if you go, I went over 35 one time, my rookie year, and got sent down for a little bit. And you know, you're not dying. You're over 35. Like, you, you, so they tell you you're released. they tell you you're going down? Like, I'm going to keep fighting, but I got to have perspective that like baseball is not my life. You know what I mean? I got to be able to separate the two and have that perspective. That's what I would say to people. Is like, hey, man have gratitude for your life first and love life. And then when you go play baseball, be the best you can be at baseball, but be able to separate the two. Mm.
3: Mm. Yeah. That. On that same page for me, I think the one thing I would tell myself is it's okay. It's okay. No matter what. If I go four for four, it's okay. If I go 0 for 20, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Everything's okay. You know, and I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I always wanted to do so, especially 2005. Like I said, man, I, I just 2005. I would stay up till six o'clock in the morning because I didn't want to fall asleep. Because if I fell asleep, I'd have to wake up quick. You know, you, you don't you don't realize when you're sleeping, but if I stayed up till six in the morning, I was just delaying the inevitable. But I was doing it because I, I just didn't want to go to the field, and I was that pressure. And I would just tell myself,
1: it's okay, it's all right. You know. Hmm. Zach, what about you, man? What would you go back and tell your younger self?
0: I love what you guys are saying. For, for me, I would try to master the gap in between, like, executing the mission and the emotions that come from the mission. And, and and what I mean by that is is gathering as much information as I can, whether it be learning from the experience or asking, you know, Case and Cuddy day in and day out, just picking their brains about the situations and learning from other people. for, For me, understanding that I'm a work in progress and my goal is to work in progress, meaning my job is to get a little bit better every single day.
1: Yeah, I think if I had to go back, look at my college career at Vermont, I would have said just control what you can control, man. I mean, it's exactly what you guys are saying. I mean, it sounds it sounds so simple, but it's so hard to do. I mean, we all play the comparison game. And when you do, you lose every time. And there's so many things that you can't control. And there's so few things that you can. So when you just go all in on what you can control, it changes the game. Case, let's do this, man. Cuddy, you, you must have, you guys got baseball bats in your room. I can see them with, with uh, Zach and Case there. Cuddy, if you got one, go ahead and grab one. Everyone grab a bat real quick. I want, I want you guys here, something that I think you can use with, with the players you're working with. Uh, I know you guys do speaking. You can use it there. And for the, look at that. You got a Sean Casey Buffalo Bisons oh. back there. Oh, my see?
2: God. Yeah, Come on, right bro. Here
1: about that what you've got a yeah. sean casey buffalo bison's bat bro yeah
2: that's bat.
1: Zach, isn't that a whipple ball bat zach
0: it is yeah it is
1: i love it Zach. jack what is the story behind that where did you get that
0: I mean, I came up just a couple years behind Case, you know, and yeah. so and I, I, I love what you're, you know, and so whenever I could get a Sean Casey anything, man, you grab that, you hold on to it, because we all want to be like Sean Casey. We all know that. Come on. Oh, I, that's
3: great. Who's that? Great. Is that Case? that? Oh, not go,
2: baby. you got to tell me, tell, oh my God. Look someday. at that.
1: Oh, this, is,
3: this is I'm his, I don't him. know if you can see this. Can you
2: see this? Five, seven, is that his 578 he gave it to you? Yeah, oh, this is this wow. batty. It is 578th with. dude. That's so tired. I got just a bootleg Jim told me 500 homers. <laughs> I'm like, it. hey, you're gonna give Gaddair 578. What about what about one for me? <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's a story. There's a story that
2: go. There's a story that goes to this one, dude. Tell the story real quick. You gotta tell that story yes. really quick. We're, we're in Cleveland. We're in Cleveland.
3: we're in Cleveland on August 8th, 2010. And you know how Jim is—he's he's a big lover of history. We're both lovers of history of the game. And I'm leading off the inning, and Tommy comes up to me and says, "Hey, Cuddy, you think this is what Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth felt like on a Sunday afternoon in Cleveland?" And uh, I went, "I don't know, but I'm about to—we're about to find out." I end up working on a walk, and he hits his 578th. and he comes in. He always shakes hand when he hits a home run, so. At home plate, I shake his hand, I hit him on his own eye. Like, that's exactly how it fucking felt, you know? <laughs> and um, we ended up winning the game and I go up to the clubhouse after the game and this one's this is sitting in my locker and it says too cuddy. It must have been what Ruth and Garrett felt like. Thanks for keeping it old school.
1: Oh yeah, bro.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. Wow. Well Yeah. That's incredible, man. Why don't you guys to do this? All right. So this is this is this is yeah, that totally trumps what I'm about to do here. It's big time! <laughs> I got this. I got the. I got the Amazon Louisville Slugger genuine 3X. Here we go. But I want you guys to take take the bat real quick. Take two fingers on the bottom of the bat. Okay. And I want you to look at the top the top of the barrel. It's right there at the top of the bat. I want you to balance it for 10 seconds. So you got two fingers on the bottom of the bat. You're balancing it on top, and you see how easy that is. You can do that all day, right? You can balance that all day. All right. So for the for the people that are watching this, I want you to try to try this another time, or for you guys that are going to influence a lot of people in baseball, this is a good one. I want you to now do the same thing, but this time look down at the knob. So look at that bottom of that tape that Tomei wrapped up there, or Zach, look at the bottom. See if you can balance it for 10 seconds. And as you try to balance that bat for 10 seconds, looking at the bottom, Case just wore it in the head, right? What happens <laughs> yeah. is it, it, be, it, become, it becomes a heck of a lot harder, right? It become it becomes harder, yes or no?
3: Yeah, it's We're impossible.
1: At- <laughs> Now, now if you go back to the the top of the bat, you go back to the top of the bat, it becomes really easy again. And, you know, I think think the the importance of this little demonstration for people when they do it is they go, well, shit, the bottom of the bat is the things you can't control. Yesterday, tomorrow, outcomes, what other people say, what other people think, politics of an organization, a pandemic, all the shit we can't control that if we focus on, it's going to wear us out. The top of the bat, that's what you can't control. Attitude, effort, energy, the type of teammate you are, how hard you play the game, how well you know your process. And if you look at the things you can control, this bat represents playing baseball. And when I look at the thing I can't control, it becomes a lot easier than when I look at the th- things I can't control. But the game's going to be the same. 60 feet, 6 inches, 90 feet, three strikes, three outs. So we just got to lock in on things we can't control. It makes the game a lot easier, man. What do you think about that, Cuddy? I love that. That's awesome. I, I
3: love the part where you said the, the, the game's the same. The bat's the same. You, just, you look up there, you look down
2: there. I love it. Great. Case, what do you got on that, man? I think it's great. I mean, I think that's that's the bottom line, right? At the end of the day, like uh, simplify your life. Can you simplify your mind in this game to really control what you can control and master those things? And the, and the results
1: will be what, they, what they'll be at the end of the day. I love it. And if you go all in on your process, you can live with the results. If you beat your process, I think you're going to have regrets at the end of the day. Because eventually you'll find out that you spent more time beating yourself than you did trying to beat the competition. or beating. Zach Sorensen, what do you got on the bat activity, man? Have you used that with any of your guys at the Braves?
0: Yeah, I used it twice this past week, and I love it. And it's just a great example. And, you know, one thing that that really stands out against me about this call right here is, and I see it at this major league level with everybody I get a chance to talk to, is players that have a sustainable, long major league career are constantly chasing an advantage. And to me, we saw that, we heard that today. They're chasing, the the mental game is giving them the advantage. They're always looking for an advantage. and, And I don't think anyone, and I hope everybody gets to listen to this, uh, you know th- this call tonight because what you're learning is the advantage these guys gained by by dipping into the mental game, by the self-talk, by by you know the conversations they're having with themselves, by their learning, growth mindset, all that gave them the advantage. And and, and kudos to them for attacking it, and making it happen.
1: A guy can go three for 70 in his first year of my, of professional baseball. <laughs> the Derek Derek Jeter can make 58 errors at shortstop and still be one of the greatest of all time. That you can break your pelvis and be told that you'll never maybe play or walk again and come back and be a lifetime three hundred hitter, you know that that you can be have and do whatever you want if you've got the right mindset, enough time in the right process. So parting thoughts here, Cuddy case, Zach, it's a fast hour, man. I appreciate you guys joining us here on baseball mental performance Mastery podcast. Cuddy, we're gonna have to get you back on here again uh, to share some time with us because there's so much good things that you guys are bringing out here. Parting thoughts, man. Cuddy, anything you want to leave our listeners with before we cut it off here?
3: No, I appreciate it, man. I, I, I love talking about this. I, I think, Zach, you hit it on the head, man. Always looking for an advantage. It's something I tell our little kids. Always look for the extra out. Always look for the extra base. Always look for the advantage that you can have over, uh, over the opponent. And I think the mental game is, is 100%, especially at the higher levels, is 100%. That advantage. If you can control your your mind, you can control your emotions. You can control your your mental performance. You're already heads and, heads and
1: shoulders above the competition. I, th- I the think. Levels, oh, sorry, case. going to say, the higher you go in levels of competition, the mental game is even a bigger factor because everyone is physically talented, right? Everyone can get away with it. So, uh, I just think that that you hit the nail on the head there for sure, case. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, kind of along those lines. That like.
2: You know, we can all go in the cages and hit, and we can all take a million ground balls. But at the end of the day, like, it's the mental side of the game that, like, ends up propelling you to another level, especially, you know, in, in this sport. And it can be worked on. I can't stand on guys say, oh, yeah, you know, what are you talking about? No, no. All this stuff can be worked on, like how to slow yourself down, how to have a process, how to have a routine. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts in the box? Positive self-talk. All that stuff, it can all be worked on. So, like, I just, if you, if it's that important, then take the time to put the work in to do
1: it. Awesome. And for for the people listening, if you want more and you want to see some things that you can do to work on this, like we're talking about, if you go to briancane.com slash baseball, I got a free 60-minute baseball masterclass where we kind of show different things that a TCU baseball program's doing, that a Corbin Burns who's pitching with the Brewers is doing. And there are things that you can take and do. And I can't echo what, what Case just said enough about this can be worked on. This is a skill set that you have to train and you have to develop, like fielding ground balls, like, sw- like, like swinging a bat, like learning how to play a different position. This is another skill you need to put into your, your arsenal as a, as a baseball player. Zach Sorensen, parting thoughts, man. And anything you want to share with our audience before we we cut it? Yeah,
0: I got this full page of notes, but here's what I got. Okay, I got something from Case and I got something from Cuddy. Master your process. Thank you, Case, so that you can say that you deserve the success. Thanks, Cuddy. Appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Awesome.
1: Awesome. <laughs> and uh, again, for everybody who's joining us here, you know we will have this this podcast uh, recording. We'll go in, into our feed, and if you if you want to be able to uh, if you want me to email you when the podcast comes out, again, just go to com, click on contact, and I can add you to our email list. Or if you go to com slash newsletter, I can add you to the email list. So you will get the email that says, hey, the, the Cuddy and Casey podcast is available. So, again, uh, Zach, I'm, Casey,
2: I'm, I'm really quick, Zach, I'm loving your podcast too, man. It's some good stuff you're putting
0: out there. I really appreciate it.
2: It's good
1: stuff.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir.
1: Awesome. The Hard Hard 90 podcast with Zach Sorensen. Prepare, compete and progress in the mental game. Zach also has his book, The Hard 90, uh, which you can get that on Amazon. And the thing I love, Zach, again, again, about your podcast is how short and frequent it is, right? I mean, it's three to five minutes a day. It's a success hotline on the mental game of baseball. And if you're on this call or listening to this podcast, you're going to want to make that part of your daily routine. It's fantastic. So uh, Cuddy, anywhere that people can connect with you, Instagram, any social media website, anywhere people can get themselves a little bit more of you? I'm not, I'm not too active on social media, but I do have a, a
3: page. It's uh, at the number five, the word three, the number 20, the word three on Instagram. And last year during quarantine, I went through about four months where five days a week I just kind of unloaded my brain. I, I had a, I called it the brain dump, daily brain dump. And I just threw everything out there that I could remember from my playing days that was talking about the mental side of just life more than anything else. So you can check that. I'm not as active on it anymore, though. I need to get active
1: again. Well, you know, if you got gifts, you got to give those gifts away, right? They say the purpose of life is to develop your gifts and the meaning of life is to give them away, man. So thank you for joining us today and giving those gifts away. And we'll make sure we link to uh, that Instagram page in our show notes. Hey, where can people engage with you, man? Are you still at the mayor's office on Instagram?
2: Yeah, I'm at the Mayor's Office MLB on Instagram. I'm, on, uh, I'm at the Mayor's Office uh, Twitter, and uh, that's about it, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm probably some other place. I have no idea. And, and, and Major League Baseball Net- Network every once in a while. We, every couple of weeks, I'm
1: up there. So that's a, that's a great gig. Awesome. And, Zach, where can people get a hold of you and get a little more of what you've got going?
0: I love Case. Oh, yeah, and the Major League Baseball Network. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Right?
1: <that is. laughs> right. Yeah,
0: I, I'm at Z Sorensen4, that's S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N-4 uh, on social. And then theheart90.com is where you'll find me. And just always chasing stuff like this. <laughs>
1: uh, My God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you guys enough for taking time away from your busy schedules, from your families, from your pursuits to sit here and join us and talk about the mental game and continue to grow the game. So uh, thank you for being here. Thank you to our attendees for joining us. And we will be back with the Baseball Mental Performance Podcast, not one week from today, but two weeks from today, which will be Tuesday, June 8th, 5 to 6 Pacific, 8 to 9 Eastern. We'll see you then. Until then, don't count the days. Make the days count. Thank you for being here, guys. Let's dominate the day. Thanks.
2: Okay, see yeah, Thank you, Cuddy. Thanks. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. That was fun.